You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, the shark bait has such teeth there. And it shows them pearly white, just a jackknife. So welcome everybody to this latest episode of Macklin's Take. Great to be back last week. Great to be talking to Manny Robles in the Fight Hotel. Great to have some people around us and to have a bit of background noise. I listen back to it and God, it's just so different. It's just so different with that little bit of, of atmosphere. Today... I was going to say that we're in a similar kind of situation, but we're not really because we're in a massive deserted ballroom in the Wembley Hilton. Space is sometimes a bit of an issue recording these podcasts, but, but not today, not today at all, not in the slightest. Uh, we've got the run of the place and it's myself, Matthew Macklin, of course, and we are joined today, I'm pleased to say, by Mr. Robert Smith of the British Boxing Board of Control. How are you? How is, how is life? I saw you in... Belfast. Um, that was an interesting night back at the at the start of August. The rain stopped just about in time for Michael Connors' fight against TJ Dehaney. But it's been a roller coaster ride for everybody the last eighteen months. And I did kind of swear that we were that we were done talking about COVID. But we haven't had anybody on from the board um, since this since boxing has been in this extraordinary space. What's it been like? It's been very challenging. Um, as you can imagine, um, but we're there. We got we got through it, um, and a lot of people thought when we first started. I mean, I, I remember the day that we had to suspend boxing, which was a very difficult decision uh, in March um, last year, and it was what, 17th of March. I remember it quite well. Making the phone call, there was a show on the Friday. I think Lee Eaton was running a show at York Hall, and uh, the phone call didn't go down too well. Bless him, but unfortunately. That's what we had to do. And I, so, I remember, sorry to interrupt, I remember that really well because we were all down at Repton. That's it, we, right, we were yeah. going to do the draw for the golden contract. Yeah, um, yeah Lee promoting that show with, with, with MTK. And we were just about to do the draw and then we got the news. Ed Robinson got off the phone, looked at us, kind of little, kind of half, kind of sad smile on his yeah. face, I guess, and just said the show's off. Yeah. 
And I think we all sort of knew at that point that, ah, this is a real problem. We we tried very hard to keep it going, uh, but I think when all the medical um, advice we were receiving, it was obvious that... um, in fact, one of the doctors I spoke to about, about trying to keep the show going said it would be irresponsible to keep the show going. The hospitals were chock-a-block, etc. Um, we were going to have difficulty getting everybody there. Um, we obviously at that point weren't testing anybody, so therefore that's a different, another ball game really. And it was a difficult conversation. A lot of, a lot of my telephone calls are quite difficult conversations, as you can imagine. But that was a tough one. But that, that's how it was. We cancelled. We postponed, we suspended the, the shows, um, and then we had to work very hard about how we're going to get boxing up and running, and that took a lot of time, a lot of advice from the doctors. Uh, a lot of people thought we were very draconian uh, with regard to what we needed to put in place, which I fully respected. Um, however, in 10 years' time, I'd like to think that maybe the criticism is, is we did too much instead of doing too little. Um, and that's where we are. And we've slowly reduced the restrictions. Uh, obviously, testing, I think, is, is here for a while. Um, but the restrictions around at the tournaments has, has reduced. Um, and we're nearly as normal as we possibly can be, I think, uh, for the time being. But we got through it as a sport, I think, you know, not because we did it, but as a sport, we did very, very well. And the promoters and the boxers and the trainers have been fantastic. There's only been the odd criticism from the one or two, but you get criticised whatever you do. I suppose the reality is this is all uncharted waters for everyone, isn't yes, it? And yes. no one, there is no blueprint no. to follow. So, you, And you're the decision maker. Well, the book stops yeah. with you, doesn't it? Yeah. So you've got to be the bearer of bad news to a uh, lot of people. Uh, that's very true, Matt. We, we went through it. We walked into something we didn't know what to do with. I, I can walk into virtually any show in the country and you've dealt with the problems that's going to arise before slightly differently there's always different ways of coming around but you've got in your head what you're going to do um but this was something that we'd never dealt with i mean i'm not a medical man i have to take advice from the doctors etc but trying to explain to the lay person like myself what we're doing is sometimes difficult um but as you say we walked into something we never knew and we've got over it I bet you've had. I bet there must have been over the years. Obviously, different to COVID, but a lot of times when you're trying to balance the, you know, obviously the health and safety, which is number one. The fact that a promoter has forked out money, he wants to sell the show, he wants to make money or certainly recoup money. You, you want the boxers want to all fight and and go on with their careers and earn money and defend their titles and progress or whatever. And it's like ultimately, then everything's coming down to someone has to make a decision. Yeah, and they're hard decisions. Very hard decisions. I mean, I come from. A, I mean, all the previous general secretaries have not been boxers. I'm the first professional, but amateur boxer and professional boxer there has been. So, I've been brought up in professional boxing all my life. Um, a boxed amateur, box pro. My father was a manager and promoter. I've seen it all before on maybe a smaller scale than yourself, etc. But there's not much difference whether you're a four-round fighter than a 12-round fighter. The problems are the same. Um, so I, I am aware of what people are putting in, the amount of money promoters are putting in. And don't forget, the vast majority of promoters in the country, what, 80, 85 90%, are not making any money. They're small-hall shows uh, and one of the things I did do, I rung around the vast majority of the small hall pro- promoters and said, don't run. This is financial suicide. I was criticised for not supporting the sport, but I, want the, I wanted the sport to survive and you could promote in two years' time or three years' time. But bearing in mind, 
I think the whole country, or we certainly did, thought this was a month or two months. When nobody thought it was going to be 18 months to two years. Um, so uh, you've got to, look at the, got to look at the wider picture instead of just the, the short term. And I think we got through that. You know, we, we comment out in the fights for Sky, me and Andy, so we, we're very much on the TV end of things. I mean, I would like to think I'm someone that's still across the sport and I still speak to people that do small hall shows, John Pegg, friend yeah. of mine, etc. But where where is it now with the small hall promote things now? Uh, are things starting to look a bit better for them? Or Yeah, absolutely. I mean, September, at one point, I think we had 43 shows proposed. Uh, the trouble with that is that there's not enough boxes. Um, and then when somebody pulls out to try to replace them, and it's difficult to bring foreigners over because of the restrictions on travel. So I think we ended up in September with something like 35, 36 shows. October, I think we proposed 39 shows. I'm fairly sure that will reduce somewhat. But these, we're talking about the amount of shows. we've. Ne- this is unprecedented. We've never run these amount of shows before. And the biggest problem I have as an administrator is supplying the officials to do the shows. I was just going to say, <laughs> does that work out, staffing all that? It's very difficult. <laughs> it's very difficult. We're moving officials from different areas to cover little shows, etc. A huge expense. And, uh, um, and you know, we have, you know, we, we, right at the beginning, I would say we were hemorrhaging money. Obviously, we were to keep the thing going. It's starting to get back now. But it won't be back to what it was previously. Um, for a while, but it will do. I'm fairly confident. Well, I'm not fairly confident. I am confident we will get back to where we were. But also, the thing about it, Matt, you know, boxers have been itching to box, so therefore they all want to box straight away. Um, that will soon thin out a little bit, and we'll get back to come December. Ultimately, December is three weeks, um, and then January is maybe the last week of January. So it'll it'll bottom itself out. Was there any particular moment? before you had to make the call, maybe in the weeks building up to it, because I don't, I don't know about you, but me and Matt have talked about this before, where I look back on it now and I can't quite understand why I didn't realise that this was coming, no. because we could see what was happening in Spain and France and Italy, and, and I, like everybody else just sat here and just thought, ah, well, it's not going to come here. Why did I think that? I mean, did you... Did you, were you almost, were you in any way prepared thinking other people might not think this is going to be a thing, but I really think it is going to be? Yeah, I think I was, because obviously I deal with doctors on a regular basis and they were telling me how bad things were, where they were working, etc. So I think I had an idea that this is not as, this is not as simple as everybody thinks. I, I also think we're not, we have an island mentality. You know, nobody's going to come over here because we're an island. Definitely. Well, the world has changed. People travel all over the place. You know, you, you can be in one part of the world one day, another part of the world the next day. So I think I did have an idea. However, all very well said you've got an idea. But when, the, when push comes to shove, I was fighting like hell to say, let's please give us a week. Please do this. Please do that. But when it comes to... The safety of everybody and it's not just the boxers or the license holders it's the public as well um so we and also our doctors and our officials we've got to look after them as well so uh, it's very important we understand we are a major sport but we're also i'm sure you agree Matt, we're a little family really everybody knows everybody um you know we all argue one day and get on with it the next day uh, so you've got to look after them the best you can and uh that was a difficult decision because being, being from a boxing background, I wanted boxing to continue. But sometimes you hit a brick wall and you've got to, you've got to step back and realise where you are and look, look of a way around it. 
I think moving on from COVID, because I don't want to stay in that conversation too long, there's been lots of situations over the years. I remember the Dillian White one, the fight wasn't, was going to be cancelled a couple of days beforehand. Again, you don't have to go into the details or specifics of that. But there must have been many situations like that where it's coming down to literally the 11th hour. A decision has to be made. And it's like, like what, what is it like when you're in those situations and the phone is getting hopped out of it? You've got managers, you've got trainers. In the, like, it, 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 let's say you, you, you're, you're working hours, you might be in the office nine to five, but I can guarantee you, you're working round the clock when things like that happen. Absolutely. I, I don't have any holidays. <laughs> I know that. I'm on the phone on a regular basis. And my wife will tell you, I'm sure, that uh, it's ridiculous sometimes. And some of the phone calls you get, or some of the questions you get, you just think, well, Christ, I might, surely you can figure that one out. You don't need me to tell you. But no, it's difficult. I mean, we, we always have issues at shows. Um, you know, we have arguments about everything. Um, but you mustn't forget, we're a very insular sport and very selfish sport. Uh, everybody's looking after themselves, where the board is trying to look after everybody. Um, you know, if you say to somebody you can't box for this reason, well, why not? Somebody else has done. What's well, so all that? It's a different problem, you know, different way of looking at things. I mean, the one thing that always gets me is if it just say an example, we have a medical problem. Um, somebody it gets around that, well, somebody else had the same medical problem, but he was allowed to box. Well, it isn't the same medical problem, so he wouldn't be allowed to box. There's always different, different aspects of all the problems you got. Um, and yeah, maybe, you know, we are, we are cautious. But you know as well as I do, this is a tough, tough, dangerous sport and we, we cannot make it 100% safe. We try our best to make it as safe as we possibly can with the provisions and the medical cover we have. But hand on heart, I know, uh, if anybody asks me, we can't make it 100% safe. So the, the things we do are there to, for a reason. We don't just do it because, oh, Matthew Macklin's moaning, we won't let him box or that. No, we do it for a good reason um, and uh, difficult decisions have to be made. How has sort of the emergence of the last few years of social media affected things in your own job and the board and that, would you say? Like, you know, you, I'm sure you know as well as we know, every week there's a fight. It's a great question. On the refereeing or the judging or the officiating. Like, do you see that? What yeah. do you read into it? Or I think social media, when it's used correctly, is fantastic. But when it's used wrongly, where people are abusing people who don't know anybody, who don't know what they've been through, etc. And some of the things that come through to our office about some of the members of staff and how they've dealt, things, dealt with things, it's just wrong. Um, and uh, yeah, as I say, social media is fantastic if it's used properly. The thing that does frustrate me is we're getting opinions of people and fans are fantastic you know we need fans and i really appreciate fans but you know as well as i do i'm sure you've both been criticized as uh, maybe not quite as much as i have but you've both been criticized and and you're dealing with people who don't know the ins and outs of the sport um but they're fans and we we've got to appreciate the fans what's that one (laughs) everyone's got an opinion yeah everyone's got an arsehole as well (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, I do, without swearing, but I do remember when my children were young and there was something on social media about something and and something come up anyway. So I could hear these little footsteps running down the stairs and open the door and says, Dad, somebody called you a wanker. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fair enough then. (laughs) Don't use that word again. (laughs) Everyone's got an opinion and that's a good thing. But it's not the same as mine. <laughs> no, these are the things. Listen, 
I'm big enough and ugly enough to put up with it. Um, I used to have dark hair, Matt. Look at me now. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's one of those. Things. It goes with the job. It goes with the job. It, it does. But one thing that is, it's always struck me that must be frustrating is is the fact that what people always say that this is this is a, a constant thing that people revert back to is oh why can't we hear from uh, the referee after the after the fight why can't we interview the referee why can't we interview the judges and they'll 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 say oh it's jobs for the boys and they're never scrutinized and it's nobody's accountable and all these kinds of things and i know that's not true because i remember um i kind of invited myself but you allowed it to the to the seminar about five or six years ago and oh, that was a, you, was it? It was, yeah. <laughs> and no, was a, more than welcome. It was a big kind of like open forum for about a couple of hours in the afternoon yeah. where, where people talk about difficult situations they've been in and how they might have handled them better. And, and everybody was very, very honest, very open, and, and no one took offence. It was, it was there for exactly that reason. So officials, you, they, they are held accountable. You just, don't, you just don't string them up in public. No, I think... Th- at the present time, the referees at the moment are on television virtually every week. So they're more scrutinised than they've ever been before. Um, but, but quite rightly, we hold seminars every year, every 18 months, etc. Obviously, due to circumstances recently, we haven't had one for a couple of years. But we will be having one in the new year where all the, all the officials, referees come together, talk about the problems they've had. Um, I heard a comment recently on a, on a, on a podcast where somebody said that the... Uh, the referees aren't taught properly or don't do the proper background well to be a referee in this country is very very difficult um you obviously apply if you're deemed good enough you'll go and do scoring tests after a period of time if you're deemed good enough again after lots of interviews you'll go and do practical tests um that's part of the trainee process you go to the seminars uh, after that if you're good enough you get upgraded to a b-class referee and then again if you're good enough you get to a and if you're very good you'll get to the ultimate within the British Boxing Board of Controllers referee as a star-class referee. That takes that can take about 10, 15 years for somebody to get to that. Um, anybody a bit lower than that, then obviously they're reasonably exceptional. So it's not easy being a referee, and it's not easy being officials. Maybe, I do understand when you talk about they, that we don't permit them to go on television uh, explaining their decisions, I don't see football doing that. I don't see other sports doing that. Um, there is also a process if we do have a concern about somebody, we will receive reports for them. If we need to call them up to discuss their decisions they've made, we will. We have the ultimate of reduce of, of downgrading them and also and also withdrawing licences, which we have done. In my time, we have done. So just because somebody doesn't agree with a referee's decision doesn't mean they're right and the referee's wrong, ultimately. Yeah, and I suppose you've got to be careful of what precedent you create there yes. too, because if you like, if you're gonna, you know, pull people in every time Joe Bloggs in the crowd doesn't agree with you, yeah. <laughs> you'd be in every day of the week, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah, Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of a lot of good fights where they're, they're well matched. They're gonna be a close fight, and and sometimes you know we've sat there scoring fights, and it's like. You know, sometimes the rounds, I'm like, I could, I could have about five or six, ten, ten rounds. Yeah. You know, because you, you're commentating, you're not just scoring. It's so, you know, and I've said it to Andy, I, I guarantee you, half these people that shout robbery after did not sit there with a pen and paper no. and score it round by round on a ten-point more system. They just watched the fight as a fan and at the end had an overriding feeling who they thought won. Yeah. But if Joe, if the person in the blue corner, let's say, won the last three rounds big, he still only won them 10-9 yeah. each round. Yeah. But then he'll think, oh, we got robbed. 
Well, did you sit there with a pen and paper and score each round? 10-9. I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, they didn't. I agree with that. I mean, a lot of rounds, um, as you say, 10-9 is the system. Uh, whether, whether the system's wrong is a different thing altogether. But you can win a, round, you can win a fight uh, really close, a really close round, it's 10-9. And you can lose a round big, and it's still 10-9. Loads of times we have a c- circumstances where people complain where, say, for... Th- I mean, I remember a fight years ago. It was, um, oh, God, Jason Cook and Lenny Dawes, I think it was. 12-round European title fight or British title fight, can't quite remember, maybe both. Um, and Jason won the first six rounds and lost the next six rounds. So, therefore, it's a draw. But everybody forgot about the first six rounds. They just remember the last six rounds. And also they do forget about the tight rounds and the wide rounds. If you win a round wide, it looks as though you won the fight. And there is, certainly I've been to shows where you have a feeling somebody's won. But then when you go and look at the scorecards, it comes across different. James DeGale against Badeau Jack was very similar. Yeah. It was literally a mirror image. DeGale won the first, I think dropped him in the first round, or maybe twice in the first Won the first six, lost the last six, and got put down in the last. So everyone remembers the last six, but that yeah. Jack yeah. having the girl down. They're like, oh, he, he was a rubber. You know, I think it was a draw. Was it a draw? They gave that time. With the guy. Yeah, it was yeah. a draw, wasn't yeah, it? Was it? A draw. And it, it was a draw. I thought it was a draw, yeah. but it was. you can understand how the, the fan who's watching it, not scoring it, because he's going to remember the last six rounds more than he's going to remember the first six. He's thinking that, but now Jack's been robbed, but he, yeah. but he hadn't been. And also, don't forget the referees and the judges are the closest people there. They're not talking to other people next to them. They're not looking at video screens, seeing replays, etc. They're making a decision there and then. You may disagree with it, but I, I, I've always said, and people criticise me for it, an honest decision is a good decision. And as long as it's honest, then I can live with that. Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desire and Capital Podcast. Coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! Yeah, it's a situation that that practically, well, actually, unless you do it, you will not find yourself in because I I do the the card for Sky and I make sure I make up my mind as soon as the bell goes because that's what the the judges have to do. I can't change it. I never change it uh, because obviously they can't do that either. I obviously don't look at my phone, but I do have to have the commentary in my ears because to get my cue and all that kind of thing. That, that, so that, that's unavoidable. I, no offence, Matthew. I do try and tune it out as much as I can, but it's impossible. It's impossible. And I'm not going to lie. There are, there are times where it's a bit of a relief to have something to kind of compare and contrast to because these judges are in, they're in a vacuum. They're, they're out on a limb. Um, and I can only imagine the kind of feeling at the end. Well, I've spoken to some of your guys about it off the record. I won't name any, but they'll all admit when it's a real close one and you know it's been hard to score, you're handing your slips in, you get to the end and you're thinking to yourself, Jesus Christ, I hope I saw that right. Because yeah. Yeah, well, it's hard, isn't it? It is really, really hard. They're human. 
I mean, when we get complaints, etc., and I watch the, I mean, I don't always watch all the fights on the night because obviously I'm running around all over in the in the in the, in the dressing rooms, etc. But if there is something I need to look at, I will watch it next day. But I'll turn the sound down. Um, you do lose the crowd, etc. But I'll turn the sound down. I'm not saying the commentators are wrong or whatever, but I do believe you can be influenced by the commentator. I don't care who you are, you're human, aren't you? Yeah. And if every time, I, we, I remember we used to do it in the amateurs, we'd be there and you'd be cheering your mate and every time we land a shot, you'd go, yeah, yeah. because you'd be trying to influence the, yeah, the yeah, judges, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's human nature that where when a shot lands and everyone's cheering, you think, oh, it, it, it gets swayed. It's, it, it doesn't matter how professional you try to be. You, at the end of the day, you're still a human person making a decision, making a judgment call. But that's why... People like Nobby Nobs were great. Every time you threw a shot, fantastic. You might have missed him by four inches, but fantastic, you know. So they're under a huge amount of pressure. And, uh, you know, and I honestly do believe that we have... Well, we're lucky enough to go around the world and see other referees and other judges, etc. I think we've got an exceptional crew in this country. And I do think we've got a good training system. Whether the people agree with it or not, I think we do. I remember uh, you mentioned Nubby Nubs. I remember him in the corner the once and with about unswaying people. He was going, I can't remember who was boxing one of his guys, and he goes, "He's knackered now. He's knackered." And I remember thinking to myself, "Am I?" <laughs> I must be. Nubby said, "Don't look knackered." That's it. These are these are these are all the tricks, aren't they? These are. You know, experienced campaigners—they—they they know it all. They've—they've they've done it all so many, so many times before. It's with reference to the way that boxing is scored. Do you think there's a better way of doing it? Well, it, I mean, I don't know if the board would ever. It would it'd be pointless, I guess, to be out of kilter with the rest of the yeah, world. Um, I mean, there'd be no point in that. But has it ever occurred to you that? Because what people say often to me is, "Ah, oh, there should be more ten-eight rounds without knockdowns." What I always come back to is it doesn't matter what your system is. It's always about consistency. Yeah. That's it. That bottom line for everything. Because if you've got consistency, then you're fine, whatever the system is. If you haven't, then you could just get some, someone who'll give a 10-8 round for a relatively dominant round. Somebody won't. It'd just be chaos still. Yeah. You've got to get everybody thinking the same. And we, we have discussed uh, as a board on numerous occasions about make 10-8 for a big round, etc. But you've got to get the rest of the world on board. Don't forget we have overseas officials coming over here as well. So you've got to get them thinking the same way. But the one thing that is, that is misconception, really, is that just because there's a knockdown doesn't mean it's a 10-8 round. You, the boxer could be absolutely flying through the round and there's a flash knockdown. It's still, I mean, you lose a round, but it could be a 10-9 round. I mean, I remember, I think it was Pacquiao and Mosley, I think, I think it was, and Pacquiao was dominating a round and got a flash knockdown, got up and still dominated the round, but lost it by a 10-9, I think it was. And everybody was screaming because he went down, it was a 10-8. Well, you can look at the whole round, you know. Um, doesn't happen very often, I have to say, but just because there's a knockdown, it's not automatic that it's a 10-8. Generally it is, but not always. Are you, do you get many applications from former fighters to be referees? Because you can't... One, one thing, I was, I was flying back from Belfast, that, that trip we mentioned, and I was in the queue uh, at the airport with, with Steve, with Steve Gray and, and Victor Lachlan, and, and I said, just out of interest, like, you know, how would I, if I wanted to, how would I go about qualifying to be, to be a judge? And they said, ah, you can't just be a judge. You've got to be a referee first. Yeah. In other countries, you could just yeah. be a judge, can't you? In, in Britain, you have to be a referee to be a judge. 
Uh, in other countries, there is they have a separate category. We don't. Our referees can judge, but we don't. We don't uh, uh, license just judges. Um, and the, and the main reason that is, we we honestly feel that you've got to be a referee ultimately to see what it's all about. You know, um, um, but that limits who can be our judges. Um, but I think it's a good system. I mean, I think it's fairly common knowledge that the British Boxing Board or control are probably. The, the strictest, but also the best uh, commission. So. No, well, you know, they're, they're strict on the health and the medicals and everything, and even the, the, the drug testing, the PEDs and all that. You know, in, in the UK, once you become a professional fighter, you're, you're signing up to random blood and urine testing. I don't know any other commission in the world where that's the case. You know, so we, I think definitely in the UK, it's the, uh, it's the cleanest, or, or, or they're making steps to do their best to make sure it's the cleanest, you, don't, you know. Whatever the athletes do, you can't control that. But you, yeah. the system is in place to try and make it as um, as clean as possible. What do you think worldwide, though, with the PED system? I, I th- I, there's, there's obviously flaws everywhere. Um, the, the biggest problem boxing has is there's no world governing body. So we're all looking after ourselves, ultimately. And I, I've always said that, that we need a world governing body. The trouble you've got is America doesn't even have an American boxing board of control. Every state looks after itself and they all have different rules. They all have different rules and medicals. The big, one of the biggest issues when we're bringing foreigners over, we obviously require MRI and MRA scans every year. Well, MRI every year, but an MRI when they turn pro. A foreigner comes over, say from one of the states, and they're only scanned every five years or so. So you've got to get them scanned again. So it would be nice to have a universal medical for everybody. Um, I tried, I put that forward to the European Boxing Union many years ago didn't quite come out and the main reason for that was because suddenly all the Eastern European box um, commissions came part of Europe etc so it's very very difficult um, but you've got to look after yourself on those sort of things which is what we do and if we could get people thinking how we think not saying we're perfect but if we're all thinking the same it'll make life a lot easier for people like myself. Yeah. I mean I suppose as well in America you see this a lot of the time there'll be a uh you know, let's say a promoter wants to put a fight on, and might there be a certain medical issue with a certain fighter, or maybe there's potential talk of him, you know, not going to pass a, a certain test. They go to they go to a state where the commission are a lot more lax because maybe they don't get as many shows, and actually the officials. I'm not going to say they're corrupt, but they're going to maybe bend a little bit because they want the the business of the show being on in that state. You see that quite a bit, don't you? In America? Well, the, the classic example was uh, Lennox and Tyson. Um, that moved, I forget where it went Memphis, to. Wasn't Memphis, wasn't it? Memphis was, yeah, so they went to Memphis. And, and Mike wasn't going to get a license in Nevada or whatever. Then we had the uh, situation with Holyfield the other week where California wouldn't license, but Florida, Florida did. So, you know, that just goes to show the, the hurdles we've all got to get over. Um, uh, will it change in my time? I doubt it. Um, but we can try to get it that way. Has there ever... You know, you speak to different people from the European uh, board, and and, and you, you, you know, you know everyone in all the different commissions. I guess in America, from from your time in in, uh, in boxing, has there ever been like um, have you have you ever thought there was a collective willingness for people to come together and create like a world body almost? Uh, not so much in America, I don't think. I think I think the. Um the state the thing about America is each state has its own it's an athletic commission which is statutory body so therefore the government appoint the appoint the officials appoint the commissioner etc that's a very powerful um, unit 
We are different. Uh, we are not a statutory body. There's no sport in Great Britain that's a statutory body. We are here ultimately for the will of the license holders, whether they like it or not. Um, but it doesn't mean that somebody else can't start up a Matthew Macklin Boxing Board of Control. Uh, it might not go very far because uh, the way I look at it, the amount of money we spend on medicals, etc., and whatever, you're never gonna you're never gonna copy. Um, so no, I don't think there is at the present time. Um, it's, it's very difficult to say it will be. Um, I would love to be, but I can't see it for the time being. We had Thomas Hauser on, on the podcast the one time. It was actually the week of the uh, AJ Ruiz fight in New York, and he mentioned about how the the, the federal or the state, uh, they were uh, good yeah. government positions, yeah. and but how it works. And Do you remember, Andy, you can maybe elaborate more, but he was talking about how favors get done and people get you know good jobs and how things can get yeah. pushed through yeah he, he was he was talking mainly about new york because that's the state he knows best and and he said everybody knows who the good officials are and who the bad officials are and everybody knows how it works people want to do what they feel is right by the house promoter because they want a couple of nights in a hotel and a nice dinner out and and that kind of thing and and that that it is as as blatant as that in a lot of in a lot of commissions in the in, in the USA, it's it, it is a very problematic kind of system where you've got all these individual outfits, like you say, and they've all got different rules. I mean, I keep saying to people who ask me about whether it's YouTube boxing or Holyfield or Jones Tyson or any of it, and I, and I just always come back to the same thing: this would never happen here because the border control would never license them. And just once and for all, for the record, you could confirm that, couldn't you? You yeah. would never license it. I, I can tell you. A long time ago, must have been about 10 years ago, maybe less, maybe less than that. Uh, two promoters rung me up about bringing Hollyfield over here. And I said, no, thank you very much. And that was the end of it. Um, yeah. We don't need it. Definitely not. It was, it was sad to see, very wasn't it? Very sad to see. I mean, I mean, as a 58-year-old, it's a fantastic physique. He looked really great. But what I don't understand, you obviously saw the, the uh, clip of him punching the pads etc I mean I found that sad then you know he just looked like an old man and um, and he's looking after from, from himself yeah it's a tough game boxing isn't it? and even when he was doing his interview I mean he's not he wasn't the most coherent was he I don't you know with regard to that he was never greatly coherent when he was younger right? he's from Atlanta and everything they've got a drool and everything like that I'm not saying that boxing hasn't done him any harm because obviously boxing doesn't do anybody any good ultimately if you go on too long um, even with all the medical provisions you put in place. And that's me being honest. That's me being a boxing person. I know that. Um, but he shouldn't have been in there. End of story. Anybody who really loves boxing knows he should not have been in there. On a kind of related issue, I, I'm guessing that one of the worst parts of your job must be having to pick up the phone and ring a licensed fighter and tell them that there's been a change to their scan and you're pulling their license. Yeah. I mean, you were a fighter yourself. That must be... That must be bad. You know, that yeah. must be... You know, there's, there's upsides and downsides to every job, but I've always thought that... Because I speak to a lot of fighters who say, oh, and the phone... I'm getting their backstory, and they'll say, and the phone went. Because some of them sometimes, they'll seek further opinions, and, and it stayed the same for a couple of years, and, and, and they can get their licence back. But it's a, it's a difficult thing to do, because it's safety first, always safety first. And they'll say, my phone went, and it was Robert from the board, and I, and I thought, and I knew this isn't going to be good. And it did occur to me quite often, they said, I wonder what that's like at the other end, if yeah, you're the no, one dialing. It's not very nice. Um, 
However, you know, I have dealt with three deaths as general secretary. There's nothing worse than that. Um, so you put it on a scale. Um, but no, when we make the phone call to say we've got to change everything, you're suspended. Ultimately, you're not taking your license off you straight away. They're entitled to a hearing. So you suspend them straight away for further investigation. So if they were boxing, I don't know, tomorrow, they're not boxing tomorrow. Um, so once they're suspended, then we have time to go to our neurosurgeons, etc., to find out whether what it actually means. Um, if it is deemed that the, our neurosurgeons feel they shouldn't be boxing, then, the, op, then the, the boxer has the opportunity to supply independent uh, medical uh, opinion. Um, and then they're entitled to a hearing before the board. And then at that hearing, depending what their independent people say and our people say, if the licence is withdrawn, they then have the opportunity to appeal that decision with a completely independent panel of people, um, generally lawyers and medical people. But although they're called the British Boxing Board of Control Appeal Stewards, they are completely independent from the main board. They'll make that decision. And if then they deem that it's right you shouldn't stop boxing they'll have the license withdrawn at that point so it's not it's not a telephone call that says you're finished it's a telephone call to say we've got a problem just feels and we've got like to deal it. with it yeah of course it does like yeah. it, it? a lot of people comes back to me to say well you've withdrawn his license we haven't withdrawn the license we've suspended him for further investigation so we're giving everybody the opportunity but ultimately, we're making that decision, or the, or the board, because I work, I'm not the board, I work for the board, but the board are making that decision for their benefit, not just anybody else's, but for their benefit for the future. Well, you know, after your own pro career, did you go straight into working for the board? No. No, no, no. I'm, a, I'm an engineer by trade. When I, when I was boxing, I did an apprenticeship as a toolmaker. Um, and then my boxing career came to an end because of injury. Um, and then I carried on working and then I took a train a seconds license out so I trained a couple of boxers and then um, but obviously still worked um, and then I actually went to an amateur boxing show um, I think it was the Hilton or the Grosvenor in London I was living in London at the time and I met up with John Morris previous previous general secretary and Simon Block who got talking about it and they said there's a position at the board would you be interested so I applied and it was just like a tea maker, really, to be honest with you. And I applied and I got the job. And uh, that's what, how it started. What, what was the interview like? It was interesting. I mean, ultimately, um, as I say, I'm brought up in boxing, so I know a little, little bit about it. Um, and the interview was just really, I mean, I'm not really, an ad, I was never really an admin. My job is admin, ultimately, now. And more than more, unfortunately, more and more dealing with legal issues than boxing issues, which is very disappointing because I didn't join, didn't join, get the job to do that in the first place. But at the time, it was more of an admin thing. And um, as I say, after my, during my engineering, I ended up being a designer of um, pumps. So we used to supply the pumps to Canary Wharf and things like that. So I designed all the system into all the buildings. So that was interesting, but I was offered the job. I took a huge pay cut to do it um, because I thought that if I don't take it now, I'll never get it again. Somebody else will be in there. And Bob's your uncle, I'm still here. How long into it did you think, Jesus Christ, I've made a massive mistake here? Oh, fairly quickly. <laughs> every, every day? <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, I'm, I'm, listen, it's got tougher, as, as you can imagine, with the more, more responsibility. But um, listen, I'm a lucky man. We're all lucky. We're, in evolved, we're involved in something we like doing, we love doing. Who, you tell me, you know, how, how many people would say, I can't stand going to work? And I'm not keen going to work on a Monday, but after, once I've got Monday out of the way, I'm all right. <laughs> I say that to you all the time. Though, the amount of, you know, most of my mates 
that I know that they're on the groundworks or on the building game or whatever. And then, like, I'm telling you, they can't wait for Friday. Yeah. And then they're on the piece all Friday, yeah, literally yeah. Sunday night as well. You know, because it's almost like they're escaping yeah. before Monday reality hits in. And, you know, when we're here, we're sitting around, we're doing a podcast, we're talking about boxing. We're living the dream, aren't we, all of us, in whatever we're, capacity we're, we're, we're in. We are very lucky, and uh, we should make sure we don't forget that. So, so what was it like in the... In the early days, then, I mean, you must have some some kind of fond memories of those times where you were kind of learning the job a bit more and didn't have quite so much responsibility. Because boxing's boxing's absolutely batshit, isn't it? Really, I mean, so many strange things happen in boxing on an almost daily basis to the point where you're not really surprised by by anything anymore. But it, it, it's one of those sports where you've just got the full range or spectrum of of human experience and, and emotion really on, on an almost kind of weekly basis there's there's some there's some darkness at times obviously but there can also be some t- tremendous comedy oh yeah i mean on, on on the whole we deal with good nice good people on the whole there's the odd there's the odd one or two that is always always there to cause trouble. Um, like who? I can't tell you that, but uh, <laughs> I know you know who I'm talking about. But still, but uh, no, no. But there's always there just people just trying to. But as I say, we're, it's a very selfish industry where you're looking after yourself. So therefore, you've got to deal with that. Um, and also, we're we're dealing with human beings, and and unfortunately, it may sound very cynical, but human beings lie in the cheat, and um, so you've got to be able to deal with that. And um, it's, it's, of course, it's difficult. Like the job has got tougher, I have to say. There's certainly more legal issues now than there ever was before. I think, the, I think we've become like America to a certain extent. And when you're challenged, it costs you money to deal with it, even though you're, you know you're 100% right. And, it, and it's not just money, it's time. And it's taking you away from something else you could be doing. Um, but no, on the whole, listen, we're lucky people. Yeah, no, my wife def- doesn't think so, but we're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> no, they all. Do you know, the, 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 probably the one event of the year where I really think that when I think like you know we can see all the little beefs and grudges are put aside and it seems like a big family. It's probably the boxing writers' dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a great yeah, night. Yeah, the boxing writers is brilliant. That, that, that's a real miss, isn't it, from the calendar during COVID? Definitely. And also, don't forget the boards awards. The boards and awards the board. are good fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, it, it, listen, you have bad times, but then you walk into a venue. And you see Ricky Hatton Costa Zoo is one of the best nights I've seen in boxing. Uh, uh, Anthony and Klitschko was one of the fantastic nights. Last weekend, result didn't go our way, but what a fantastic night that was. You know, everything went really well. We, you know, we had a serious injury. The evacuation of the boxer went extremely well, etc. Very proud of all the doctors and the paramedics and the officials who dealt with that. Thank God everything was okay in the end. But when things work well, you walk away thinking... It's worth it. This is what you do. I mean, do you do you enjoy shows? Is it possible to really enjoy it? I mean, you're you're, you're working, and you've got to make sure your eyes are open and you're alert to anything and everything, really. But have you been doing it long enough now that those antennae are just kind of they're up and they're in place, and you know your 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 spidey sense is kind of intact, and you can enjoy the fights or not so much. I don't really watch the fights, to be honest with you. Um, you're always out in the dressing rooms. You've got the, you've got the, you know, taking the referees round to the championship fights for the for the boxers for final instructions. Um, although I don't have to check the bandages, but if there's any problem, it's always come and get Robert Smith, blah blah blah, whatever. So uh, no, I don't see all the fights. Um, certainly, the early part of the evening, I don't. 
Um, but that's how it is. I mean, the, the one thing is, you are, you, as I said earlier, you have an idea if it's a problem, you've dealt with it in some sort of way before. Very rarely does something come up that you've never actually dealt in a, in a roundabout kind of way. You might have a different, different decision because of different opinions, etc. But no, on, on the whole, you've got an idea of what can go wrong. With that in mind and what we talked about, COVID, how you, this was something that was unforeseen. There was no, no one charted the uncharted waters. There was no precedent or blueprint to follow. Now that we're 18 months down the line, with the benefit of hindsight, are there anything, is there anything you look back at and think, we should have done that differently? Yeah, of course there is. I mean, you know, you're not learning anything if you don't do that. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, as I say, we, we were draconian at the beginning. Um, and I said right at the beginning, I'd rather be draconian in 10 years' time saying you got it right or you got it, uh, instead of being you got it wrong. There's a few things we've learned that we'll adapt into as time goes by. Um, and also, you know, round ringside, we've got more space now. That's one of the things we've put in place. Instead of everybody crammed up at the ring, we've got more room for people to move, which worked really well last week, evacuating the boxer. So there are a number of things that we've learned that we'll keep in place. Um, some things we don't need to keep in place. But yeah, we, you've got to learn all the time. Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Noko Moto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. The Michael Watson tragedy and the Gerald McClellan tragedy, those were two significant fights, weren't they, that probably were big factors or big um, points where the board really kind of had a look at things and upped their game and really you know, brought things in. Um, do, do you remember that time? Well, I wasn't with were the you board. you still fighting no, no, I just about packed up. Them. I, was, I wasn't, I wasn't, well, I, I, I retired through injury, come back again. I was like Frank Sinatra. I kept coming back, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Shame I couldn't sing, but still. Um, no, I wasn't working for the board then, but obviously I joined the board in the aftermath of the Watson case when things were going, well, the legal cases were going on. And uh, yeah, the board learned. I mean, you've got to learn. We always learn. If you don't learn, you might as well go home and forget about it. And you learn every day in your job there's always something you need to do so yes medical wise it's a completely different beast than it was at those times um and you know um with regard to the the, the qualifications of the people working the shows as in medics uh, paramedics etc procedures beforehand procedures after it's a different beast altogether people say don't they you'll, you'll have heard conversations well andy on, on social media and different things that there should be somebody set up for to help fighters when they retire because they struggle with direction, purpose, financial, health, all the different things they can struggle with. And we, I think we'd all agree, yeah, it'd be nice if there was, but what does that look like? How does that work? Because some, some few people have asked me this, so I thought maybe let's just, yeah. you know, Robert's here, you know, he, he'll have dealt with probably a lot of people in retirement. I mean, what do you, what do you think should happen? No, I think I mean, there's something that we've obviously considered. I mean, don't... Don't forget, many, many years ago, Barry McGuigan and Nicky Piper tried to set up a union to help these sort of things. Uh, unfortunately, I think they were asking for 10 quid 
from every boxer after every purse. Didn't get the money, didn't work. Boxers don't like giving all money away, which is understandable. And the union didn't get off the ground, really. Um, we deal with an organisation called LAPS, which is Life After Professional Sport, which is Leon McKenzie, ex-professional boxer, ex-professional footballer, etc. Part of the very famous McKenzie family from South London. We deal with them. We put people up. When people contact us, we put them onto them. Uh, we also have an association with the mental health um, organisation Mind, where we put people onto that. But, but don't forget, um, there's more ex-professional boxers than there are current boxers, and try to look after everybody is virtually impossible. And we're not the FA, a flush with money, etc. We have a different way of making money. We don't get television money. Our money is generated from our licence holders, from levies, from tournaments, um, and ultimately... Uh, that's it really um, and levies for boxers boxing abroad so it's a different way of financing the organisation and therefore we're restricted on the money we have we we do have a charity um, and every Christmas we give money to ex-boxers who's fallen hard times I think last year was about 30 odd grand 500 quid each whatever so they're the sort of things we do in the background and and maybe it's my fault. I'm not a big one for standing on the mountain and shouting what we do. We just do it because some, because some people don't want to be known to be taking money from an organisation because they're very, pri- pride. Proud, very pride, proud people. Um, so we do do a bit. Could we do more? I'd love to do more. Financially, we can't. It must be quite frustrating that, and I think this is the same in all sports, it would probably be the same for the FA um, and maybe for the for the governing body in cricket, is that whenever there's any kind of an issue in boxing, people seem to ask the question of, well, what are the Boxing Board of Control going to do about it? Mm. Without really even stopping to think whether it's actually your responsibility or not. Yeah, I think, think so. I mean, don't, don't forget, it sounds very basic, but boxers are self-employed. You know, plumbers have to look after themselves with regard to their pensions, etc. We, we have a, uh, an insurance policy for death and permanent injury. Uh, I remember when I was Southern Area Secretary explaining to boxers, this policy only gives you this amount of money. You should top it up. Not one boxer has ever topped up that insurance policy themselves. So they've got to look after... People have to take responsibility for themselves. Um, You know, we can't look after everybody. Um, Obviously, we will help the best we can. But ultimately, they are self-employed and they need to put things in place themselves. And it's all very well saying that Robert Smith doesn't know what he's talking about with regard to that and that's very callous and whatever. Unfortunately, I'm a very black and white person. That's a fact and that's what we need to do. Do you think think there should be more responsibility on some of the bigger promoters who've got big TV contracts or some of the big, big fighters maybe that they give a donation from a purse or... You know, do you know what I mean? In yeah, terms yeah, of the strong yeah. helping the weak, yeah. rich helping the poor type thing. Do you think there should be more well, well, of an emphasis on that? Well, don't forget, all the, all the money generated... I mean, the vast majority... Well, the bigger promoters obviously pay a bigger tax to the board because of the size of the shows. That money doesn't go to the board. That goes back into the sport. So, therefore, the vast majority of small hall shows do not cover themselves. So we, as an organisation, are working at a loss to run those shows for them. If we were to charge them what it actually costs to run the show, I'm fairly confident they wouldn't be able to run the shows. So that's a decision I make uh, on behalf of the board because I'm very keen for the small shows to keep going. But, you know, when, when you say donating, it's, you know, people do donate. They may not make it very well known, but people do donate. But, of course, every 
week I get requests from charities for this and that and whatever. There's so many people wanting donations from everybody. You can't look after everybody, unfortunately. There's only so much to go around. There's only so much to go around, yeah. So I've just got one more kind of technical question before we, we round off with uh, uh, a good few minutes of some, some kind of highlights and uh, favourite moments. Um, women's boxing doesn't have any British titles currently, um, yet it has world titles. And people ask me sometimes why that is the case. And I think the explanation is fairly clear. It's that the, the board don't feel that there is sufficient depth yet to have a to have a British title. How far away do you... Th- it's going to vary from weight division to weight division, obviously, but, but how, how kind of far away do you think you might be from, from your first one? Because that's big. Like The British title is a real, a, real, a real big thing. And it's great that, you know, it's... You're not just going to put them up to be fought for lightly. Well... You're right. There are British championships for female boxers. There is a British championship available. However, you're right. The depth of uh, talent, etc., or the de- depth of number of boxers is not enough. What you'll end up is at the present time would be having the same boxers boxing each other all the time for the British championship. We need more depth, and that is coming. You know, you can see the success of female boxing is fantastic. Look at the quality, and the quality's increased from when it first started so when we actually get enough people who can box it and def- box for it and defend it etc the first female british championship will take place but to say there isn't one there is it just hasn't been used yet yo i'm dk co-host of the one star recruits podcast my best friend rip and i host five star athletes celebs business leaders comedians and coaches from around the world Each week, I can guarantee the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star Recruits. Okay, good. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, okay, so we've got about ten minutes, I reckon. What we? I mean, it's the, these are difficult questions. Um, these are difficult questions because I'm quite enjoying it, though. Well, it's not too bad. No, no. I mean, I mean, the, I mean the ones, the ones that are to come because it's it's like asking somebody. Oh, like what, I've got to catch a taxi now. <laughs> it's like asking somebody what's your favourite film or what's your favourite this, what's your favourite that. It's it's actually they're quite difficult to answer. What are some of your favourite moments? From your time at D, from your time at the board, time at the board or boxing altogether. Boxing altogether, actually. Boxing well, altogether. I remember when I was. I mean, my favourite British boxer ever is John Conti. I just thought he was fantastic, and my, my favourite world boxer is Roberto Duran. I mean, what that man achieved from a lightweight all the way up to light middleweight and super middleweight is just fantastic. You know, top three pound for pound of all time in my yeah, opinion. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I say he's number one, but still, I wouldn't argue too much. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm very lucky. My father managed some decent boxers. You know, one box for the world heavyweight championship against Ali, one box for the welterweight world title against Leonard and Carlos Palomino. So I've been brought. They were exciting times as a as a young teenager. Do, do you remember that in the house? Sort of oh, excitement yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah. When 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 Joe, when, when father managed Joe. Joe Bugler, but when Joe was going to 
fight Ali when he walked in the door we've got the Ali fight Christ almighty you know this is fantastic and how daft were we we thought Ali's 32 he's over the hill we're going to win this <laughs> you know, Joe's 26 or something we're going to win this with a completely and he boxed him twice and did very well did very well the first fight not so good the second but he was a world they were we were dealing op- operating in world class at that time and then obviously Dave Green fought uh, Palomino, which was a great fight, which was one of, one of the great nights I remember, and Sugar Ray Leonard. And how the hell we thought we were going to beat Sugar Ray Leonard, I do not know. But uh, if, you, you, if you don't think you're going to win, you're not going to win, are you? So, but I think with the board, um, uh, one of the great nights, like, Ricky and Tazu was a fantastic night. I mean, I just, I just remember walking in the MEN and it was looking around and like little ants wobbling around everywhere. It was just a fantastic night. As I say, Klitschko Joshua was huge actually it was you know Wembley um Wembley was full 90 or 90,000 people that was a fantastic occasion but some of the small shows you look at the fights the small shows you've been to some fantastic don't forget the area title fights some of the best fights you ever see you know and British title fights some of the best fights you ever see I mean I was I was there when Jamie and Matthew knocked seven bells out of each other that was a fantastic occasion great fight and made them the men they are now that was 15 years ago yesterday was it 15 years two days ago or something yeah yeah. I remember seeing Robert actually funnily enough a couple of weeks after in Manchester at the MEN at the Sakio Beaker Joe Calzaghe bill I remember walking past and he said he just tapped me he goes well done last week or something like that. I went, Rob, I got beat. <laughs> he said, no, you did, but you proved yourself. And I didn't probably appreciate what you meant at the time, but having you know, gone yeah. through my career then, I know exactly what you meant. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was a tough game. You, you'll come again type thing where, for me, my world was over. Of course, <laughs> I was only 24 years de- old. De- de- it was all ahead of me. Defeats don't mean a lot. Well, they obviously mean a lot depending on how you lose, but what you put up that night um, was fantastic. And what Jamie did as well, because you both were, you both were at your limit ultimately um he just got there before you did before you did ultimately well you got there to your limit before he did but um you know jamie was a fantastic <laughs> i was in the red from the third round huh? <laughs> <laughs> but um and also the one thing about that the referee victor lachlan did a fantastic job that night never got any praise for it but did a fantastic let you let you get on with it but it wasn't a dirty fight but let you get on with it so there's been some fantastic occasions um you've been to but then there's been some terrible ones so you've got a bit more good ones than bad the Hatton Sue night was special I, you know even even Robert said because I think sometimes I think am I biased because I was friendly yeah. with Ricky and I was in the gym but when you said that then I was like nah it was special man I remember walking to because it was early hours in the morning you know normally the show would start about 6 o'clock yeah. wouldn't it be finished yeah. by 12 but this didn't start till 11 yeah I 11 think. o'clock yeah and I remember walking into the MEN and I was coming through the print works in Manchester so it was a Saturday night you know and people you know the town's full and that and I remember coming into the, there was like there was probably there was I don't know how many but there seemed like about several hundred anyway of people in Australian tops some Russian because it was you know based yeah, in yeah. Australia and they were, whatever they were, I can't remember what they were chanting but it was like bum 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 sue 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 and I remember just getting this blast of butterflies in my stomach and I thought oh it's really here he's yeah. fighting Costa Sue because not many people no. thought Ricky was going to win that you know no, very didn't. few another great night was Joe against Kessler the way Joe adapted that night just showed what a great world champion he was he was in he wasn't in trouble but he was struggling yeah no that was and he, 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 he was readjusted yeah, he, he readjusted yeah. and, uh, and, and to be fair Kesler was a great world champion as well, and, and he was a young boy, young lad then. And uh, I'll tell you a, a little story with the guy. I tell you, it's quite funny because obviously I lived just outside Cardiff, and the fight was in Cardiff. And uh, 
um, I know um, Kesley was with Mogens Pally, I think, at the time, the Danish promoter. And his daughter, who I met many years ago, rung me up and said, we don't want, we don't want Mikkel staying in Cardiff, it's too loud. Do you know where anywhere we can stay? And I live in the country. And I said, well, you can rent these little places just up the road from me. Didn't see Mikkel at all other than the weigh-in, but anyway. So they rented these places. Now, where I live is like one taxi service and there's only one taxi and you've got to be lucky to get it anyway. So... Next a couple of days later, I bet I got the taxi somewhere, and he says, "Oh, I had uh, Mikael Kasler in my cab going into Cardiff the other day." I said, "Oh yeah, what did he say?" He says, "Well, it's funny." He says because he got in the back, right, and the bloke sat in the front, and uh, he says, "Oh, the cab's he goes take me to the principality or take me to the hotel, I forget now." And the cab driver goes, "Well, what are you going there for?" He goes, "Are we going over the, to the Kalzaki Kasler fight?" Oh, that's great. He goes. Uh, Kawasaki's going to beat the hell out of him. He said, well, why don't you ask Kessler in the back? <laughs> <laughs> Christ, you can just imagine. Oh, you just did want the ground to... I think so. he got a free fare that night. <laughs> yeah, that would be... Your life would flash before your eyes, wouldn't yeah. it? It really How would. How embarrassing. <laughs> it really would. It really would. So how about situations where, you know, kind of just... just comedy situations, I guess, where... You find yourself in a situation and, and you're scratching your head and just thinking, how did this happen? Like, how did we how did we end up in this kind of scenario here? I really don't know what's happening. Oh, there's been a few, but I can't tell you them all. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. I mean, I, I do remember one one referee. It was, I think it was one of the first things he'd done on television. And obviously the MC stuck the mic in his, in his face and he said, so given the instructions, he goes, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> There's another one at the Albert Hall. I remember, I think it was the last fight. I forget what the top of the bill. And the last the last fight of the night, and a foreign boxer got dropped, early, I think, first or second round. And he got up and the referee goes, are you okay? And he goes, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so he stopped it. <laughs> you know, um, do you remember the um, the fan man in uh, oh, yeah, Riddick yeah, Bowe yeah, and, yeah. and Harley Field fight? What would, what would be the nearest to something like that? as bizarre in terms of just pure absolute bizarreness I can't believe this is happening that has happened you know in Britain while you've been yeah. there's only two occasions I can think of and one was very early in my time with the borders Naz was boxing somebody and the, and the ropes collapsed and I forget where it was the other in Manchester but the, rope, the ropes went down and uh, there was bless his heart Mike Goodall in the corner winding these <laughs> but the rope had actually snapped so we couldn't do anything it doesn't make any difference right? so we got through that got through the fight and the other thing was um, Enzo Enzo uh, Macronelli fought in Cardiff ice rink it was freezing one night it was always cold there the old ice rink and uh, the lights went out and we, were just, we had to wait about five or six minutes while the mechanic was trying to get these lights going. And we couldn't get them going, so we ended up using the TV lights to get the fight out of the way. So they're the sort of things that come up that you've got to deal with, you know, as soon as you can. But I always find the best thing is to slow everything up, just take your time, and you'll get there in the end. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, actually, good, good all is somebody we need to tempt onto this podcast. I think he'd have some unbelievable Michael stories he's, yeah he's, he's very very entertaining to witness from ringside I remember being in in Monaco two years ago so the last time we went and he got the canvas all perfect like he always does I think he'd had some sort of quite late additions sponsor wise that he'd had to kind of transfer on it was all pristine and perfect he left the room and whilst he was out 
the kind of dance troupe who were going to come on and do something mid-show went in and did their practice and just fucked the whole thing up. And when he came back in, oh my God, like I've never seen anything like it. I was actually quite frightened. <laughs> it just went, it went mental. And Darren Barker was just wild. I was just going, Mike, like, what's happened to your roots? Don't not now, Darren. You know, he just went absolutely off his head. Uh, but it's great. It's great. He's a, he's a, he's a, yeah, the characters like that in boxing are just, they're, they're tremendous, aren't they? You, yeah, I, I love talking to the guys from the board who I see around at Wayne, so I know I've been around boxing for a really, really long time. Because I'm just kind of looking at them and just thinking, like, you've got, God, you've got some stories. Sorry, sorry, Matt. The one thing, people say there's no characters anymore. We've got plenty of characters, you know. Agreed. What's it like now in terms of, at the board, in terms of... uh New blood coming through for refereeing and judging. Is there a, a lot of lads? Do you get any fighters? Do you get any ex-fighters? Not, not many. We've had a couple, um, but not many. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to be an ex-fighter to be a good referee. There's a number of our referees who I believe are very good and not boxed. Um, some have dabbled in the amateur game, but not many pros. But yeah, I mean, we've got a couple coming forward. Um, different areas vary because obviously... the, 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 the where the most activity is, like the southern, central and the midlands, that's where you get more applications generally. Um, but yeah, we get quite a few people coming forward, as, and for timekeeper jobs, etc. So uh, we're okay. Um, there's always, always room for more. Um, and, you know, I would say to anybody who's very interested, please contact the office. Uh, we'll take it from there. doesn't mean you're gonna, it's going to go very far, but at least you've tried. And uh, no, we, we're always looking for new talent. Okay, well, that's the perfect place to leave it, I think. A call to arms for the British Boxing Board of Control. Uh, Thanks very much for doing this. It's been really, really good fun. We've been meaning to do it for a while. And it's just so much better to speak to people in person and speak to them speak to them um, via Zoom. We will be using Zoom again every now and again in the it, future. It served its purpose, didn't it? It got us through lockdown. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, when, when you need to go and speak to people abroad or you want to get guests on from abroad and, and they're just not accessible, then, it, then it's perfect for that. And we will, we will still be using it for that on occasion, but it's just... I think it's going to take a few weeks for me to kind of, you know, get over the giddiness of being able to sit down with people and do this in person again because it's just great, great fun. Uh, it's great to be back. Uh, this is the, the week two of the, uh, of the revamp. Plenty more to come. Uh, so thanks for listening, everybody, as always. And we'll catch you again down the road. Jenny Diver, oh, Suki Tawdry, look out to Miss Lottie Linger and old Lucy Brown. Yes, that line falls on the right babe, not that Maggie's back in Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.